Life Audio. I think the Spirit comes upon us and we cultivate the Spirit's presence through yeah. practices that lead us to be more generous, more hungry to know Scripture, more hungry to know God, more evangelistic in our lives. Basically, I think the Spirit makes us more outward centered when the Spirit indwells us. I'm Jody Nisnik, and you're listening to So Much More. And after a quick word from our sponsors, my guest, Jack Levison, and I will be back to talk about how to embrace a spirit-filled life. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Jack Levison is an internationally acclaimed scholar and award-winning author. He holds the WJA Power Chair of Old Testament Interpretation and Biblical Hebrew at Southern Methodist University. If you're a Texas person, you just say SMU. (laughs) He previously taught at Duke Divinity School and Seattle Pacific University. Jack has the gift of connecting with popular audiences with essays featured in The Huffington Post, Parade.com, Relevant.com, and beliefnet.com. He is the author and editor of many books, including A Boundless God, which was Christianity Today's 2021 Book Award winner, and his newest release that we're going to dive into today, which is called Seven Secrets of the Spirit-Filled Life. Well, Jack, thank you so much for making some space to talk to us today. Thank you, Jody, for letting me have the space to talk. Well, I am really excited to have you on because you've spent decades researching and teaching about the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to lie, I've got some questions for you. (laughs) So Go for it. All right. Well, you know, I think I'm drawn to always learning and understanding more about the Spirit because, honestly, I just don't want to leave anything on the table when it comes to my spiritual life. And yet, if I'm also honest, I'll tell you that the Spirit can be a little confusing for me. And I think there's two reasons for that. So let's talk about the first one. And the first one is, I think that the church seems a little all over the map with how we deal with the Spirit. So on the one hand, we kind of give Him all of our attention and, you know, just depend wholly on the Spirit. So that's kind of this one swing. And then on the other hand, I feel like we've decided the Spirit's confusing. We don't know how to understand the Spirit. We think the gifts of the Spirit were for the New Testament time and not today. And so we just back away because we're confused. Yet the 
Spirit is a member of the Trinity, our God. So I would love for you to just shed some light on that tension and where we can land on that and some things that you just, what are your thoughts on that? I think the church in our day has made a mistake by associating the Holy Spirit with the ecstatic, the extraordinary, even the miraculous. Mm. And so what we've done is, after a century plus of Pentecostalism traced back to Azusa Street in 1906, we've said, well, the Holy Spirit is really the bauble and the bangle and the bead and the shiny thing out there, rather than God's closest presence to us deep within, which is accessible through things like Lectio Divina. So I think we've made that mistake. And so Christians who don't have that experience, they kind of uh, really shy away from it. And those who have that experience think that is the whole center of the Spirit's life, and they just don't come together. They just separate and separate. Mm -hmm. So I think it's the mistake of associating the Spirit with the spontaneous or the ecstatic that has created the divide. And it's not a biblical, that's not a biblical notion. Yeah, I think I love that. You're right. And that's, I think, where I have pulled away in some ways is because the Spirit has become just an emotional thing. Yes. So, you know, but the, but we know that's not the right thing. I mean, the Spirit is a member of the Trinity and part of our vibrant faith. So tell me a little bit about how you have started interacting with the Spirit, what you, you know, how can we hold that maybe in a healthy way? I'm old. I live with 18 and 19-year-olds, but I'm old. When they worship, they want to worship like hands up, moving, bouncing around. When I worship, I want my soul to be still. I want to create this openness and space deep within. Now, they want that too, but they have so much energy, it's hard for the these younger students to know that. And for people who are listening, Priscilla and I moved into a college dorm on the SMU campus a year and a half ago. So we live in an apartment with 185 undergraduates, primarily freshmen and sophomores. But they realize too, when you give them space, that God can work in the silence. God can work in the quiet. God can work through meditation. That may lead to a form of ecstasy, but it is a deeper ecstasy than than I think sometimes happens in megachurch or larger worship nowadays, with has great music and smoke on the stage and that kind of thing. That's yeah. all great, but I think quiet, silence, space, deep in our souls is what we need more of. Yeah, I agree. I, I want to talk about the other thing that I feel mm -hmm. like has been a point of confusion for me and others as well is that there's these two ideas communicated in Scripture about the Spirit. And one is that the Word says that the Spirit comes upon us. And then there's this other idea that I think is clearly communicated, that because of our faith in Jesus, the Spirit indwells us. So help us understand, is that different? Is it the same? How do we hold these two ideas that 
there's perhaps this coming upon, but there's also this indwelling. Well, I hope your listeners are able to deal with a little bit deep theology here. Because Let's do it. I, okay, I would even subdivide indwelling into the spirit that is in us from birth and the spirit that comes to us to indwell us when we come to believe in faith. But I, you know, I, this book I published, uh, Aboutless God, the Christianity Today book, I have, I think, eight chapters in it, and each of them is a different verb. And the verbs are these spirit blowing and breathing, spirit coming upon, spirit resting upon, spirit passed on, spirit poured out, spirit filling, spirit cleansing, spirit standing. And I think these are all dimensions of how the spirit is present to us. I don't think there's an entire difference between the spirit coming upon us and the spirit indwelling us. I think when the spirit comes upon, largely in the Old Testament, something unusual happens. So the spirit comes upon Saul, or the spirit comes upon Samson, or the spirit comes upon you know, others in the Old Testament, and then they do something remarkable. And that's, that tends to be what Christians think the Old Testament is about. The Spirit comes upon, it's temporary, and then it leaves. But what happens in the New Testament, many Christians think, is indwelling. That's not true, because there is indwelling in the Old Testament as well. So it's just taking me a little while to get through this, but I think coming upon may be temporary. Indwelling is clearly permanent, but I also would want to subdivide indwelling into the indwelling presence of the spirit that all human beings have from birth and the indwelling of the spirit that is given to Christians so that they can live a spirit-filled life, largely a life toward others, a life of mission, a life of giving. I don't think God gives the Spirit to us, according to the New Testament, so that we can have a better feeling about God. The Spirit gives us, is given to us so that we can do more on behalf of the world through God's power. So I think there are two indwellings, and they kind of go together. That's so interesting, and I appreciate that you said that. So the coming upon... Does that still happen in the New Testament? So we're indwelt by the Spirit, and yet there's a certain time when the Spirit, you know, kind of bolsters us to do what He's inviting us to do. Is that, how would you describe that? Now, that's a really good question. The idea of coming upon, as in the Samson stories, I don't think that does happen in the New Testament. I think there is much more sense that the Spirit comes upon people or to people and fills them for mission. And by mission, I mean mission in the best sense of the word. So I don't think there are these, at least in the biblical, in the New Testament, these kind of coming upon and then leaving, coming upon and then leaving, coming upon and then leaving. I think the Spirit comes upon us and we cultivate the Spirit's presence through practices that lead us to be more generous, more hungry to know Scripture, more hungry to know God, more evangelistic in our lives. Basically, I think the Spirit makes us more outward-centered when the Spirit indwells us. I love even what you just said about we cultivate that relationship through practicing 
our faith in different ways. One of the ways we do that is through scripture meditation, which is one of the things that we focus on here. But there are lots of different ways. And you dive into that in your book. We're going to pause here for a quick break, and then we'll be right back. And so I want to talk about one of those specifically, which is scripture, and that we come to know the Spirit more through the serious study and meditation on God's Word. Let's talk about the passage that we meditated on, because I think it just tees up this conversation perfectly. And that is John 14, verses 25 through 27. These are some of Jesus's kind of preparation parting words for his disciples. And so he says this, he says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So, Jack, I know that you got to spend a little time thinking through that passage and meditating on it. And as you reflected on it today, tell me what stood out to you. I saw something in the first line I'd never really thought about before, where it says, all this I have spoken while I am while still with you. And of course, the paraclete will say more, but I love the kind of open-ended nature of that sentence. All this I have spoken while still with you. Okay, when you're not with us, you're going to keep speaking? Mm. Oh, yes, of course I'm going to keep speaking. You know, when you go to college, Chloe, our daughter, we'll still be communicating with you. We'll still be there. And it struck me, this sort of open-ended, all this I have spoken while still with you, meaning I'm going to keep speaking. Don't worry. Uh, something else that struck me is the coordination of we'll teach you all things and we'll remind you of everything I have said to you. I think people often will say, we'll teach you all things. That's kind of like an open check. Yeah, God's going to just reveal things to us, reveal all these new things, reveal the end of time, reveal. And I don't think that's what it's saying. I think it's saying, I will teach you all things by reminding you. That is, I will lead you into the future by leading you back to Jesus and everything that Jesus said to you. So I love this notion in this text of leading ahead by bringing us back to Jesus. Our future is in Jesus. It's not in Revelations. We have plenty of revelation in the gospel. When you got all four gospels memorized, come back to me and we'll talk <laughs> about the future. But my job is to let the Spirit lead me back into a deeper understanding of Jesus' teaching and works. I like that about this text. I do too. And one of the things that you talk about in your book is, well, secret number two which is secret number saturate two. yourself with scripture. Oh, you gave it away. You gave it oh, away. Oh, I did? Shoot. You gave it away. Oh. <laughs> no, there's plenty more. Yeah. Well, the, I love that because I think what you're talking about, and I know what you're talking about because I read it, is that for the Spirit to help us recall 
there has to be something to recall in the first place. And so that is where we sit in scripture, reading God's word, knowing what he said. And like you just said it in such a beautiful way, bringing us back to Jesus, bringing us back to Jesus. And the revelation is not something that nobody knows about. It is what's already been revealed to us. That's so good. I love that. And, and, you know, in in John's gospel, where this text is, there are two examples of that. The temple saying, where Jesus says, you know, destroy this temple and I'll I'll raise it up in three days. It says the disciples didn't understand that at the time, but later on they remembered and understood what he said. And then the triumphal entry with the reference to Zechariah back in the Old Testament coming in on the donkey. It says they didn't understand that at the time, but they got to know it later. I think that is clear examples of the work of the Holy Spirit. They didn't understand these things when Jesus was alive, but afterwards, when the Spirit came, they came to understand it in a deeper way, in light primarily of the Old Testament. So I think meditation on Scripture is perhaps the primary way in which we open ourselves to God's movement in our lives. Yeah, I love that thought because I've often thought as we're reading the Gospels, because we know the rest of the story, we know Jesus' death and resurrection. So we read through that lens. As we're reading the story, it's hard for us to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes and think, how can you not see who he is? He's telling you. And they don't understand yet because it hasn't been revealed to them. And I wonder what we will look back on from the other side of eternity and be like, oh, of course, that makes so much sense now because we know the rest of the story at that point. So I love that thought. Is there any other encouragement you have for us around the study of God's word, the meditation of God's word as a way to know the spirit better? Yesterday, we have a wonderful student, Ethan, from Minnesota. He's flying back today at 7.30 uh, to Minnesota. And he's very eager. He became a Christian very late in high school, so he doesn't know a lot about the Bible. And we've met quite a few times this uh, semester. And Ethan and I went to lunch yesterday, knowing that he was leaving. And I gave him four ways of studying Scripture. Word studies, you know, study the genre of the literature, study New Testament, light of the Old Testament. There was a fourth way, I can't remember. And at the end, we were walking out of the cafeteria, and I said to him, and don't worry if you get it wrong, a failed study of Scripture is better than anything else you can do in this world. Because, and he, because, and he said, because then you're meditating on it. I said, exactly. There is no failed study of Scripture. It settles us. It challenges us. It moves us. And even if it doesn't, our minds are engaged with Scripture and we are preparing ourselves. We're digging up the soil, even when we're not getting a word study right. Even if we can't figure out what literary genre this particular text is. So I think failed Bible study is the great soil of insight. And so, yeah, we meditate and create this space where the Holy Spirit can move in the crevices and the cracks of our life. 
Jack, when you say that, I think that expresses so much trust in our God to take care of some of these details. Because I think we get really bent out of shape to get it exactly right. And I look back over my journey of walking with Jesus for the last many years and think there are quite a few things that I didn't understand correctly and I understand differently now. And I am still glad that I wrestled through those things the way that I did years and years ago, even though maybe they weren't the way that I view them now. And perhaps in another 15 years, they may not be the same way I view them anymore. What I can still stand on the foundation of is who Jesus is. But a lot of these other things we discuss and dissect and dig into and new information comes out about historical times that give us new insight into what the original authors were writing to, all of these things. So I love that you just said that. It gives me like, a, like oh, let's all just take a deep breath and say, God's got it. This morning, I was on a 7 a.m. Zoom call with a former Duke student, and he meets with a group of men. And it's Eastern time, their time, 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock, my time. And they said, we can't peg you. We're not sure how to peg you. You know, so I grew up in a Christian church, no women in leadership. I married a United Methodist. I'm constantly moving. I studied with an Orthodox Jewish scholar. I like that I never got it right. I have never gotten it right. And when students are in our apartment and they're asking questions about life and meaning and God and faith and doubt, the really important questions, I don't have it right. And that's okay. As long as I'm constantly going back to Jesus in that personal relationship, even if I don't have it right, I don't have it right. I'd love to think I had it right at 66, but I don't. Right. Yeah. And as soon as we think we do. I mean, there are some things I do think we have right, though, uh, and that's the foundation of our faith and some of those things that you're talking about. One of the things this it kind of leads into this. You have this beautiful quote in your book, in the intro of your book, and you say there's so much insight to be gotten from the Bible, some of it supporting what we already believe, but much of it upending what we already believe. This is exactly what you're talking about. Tell me. Something that got upended for you? Well, I mean, long ago, I fell in love with a woman who became a Methodist minister and a theologian, and I did, I did not believe that women should be in leadership. And now we are working on a project together, reading 19th century women who defended their right to preach. And I have, Priscilla has discovered dozens of women in my Church of Christ tradition that preached in the 19th century. So I think on women in leadership and women's ability to preach, I had to make a drastic change. I think, you know, I've softened on questions of sexuality by having to be a pastor to students. So what I think has been upended is any harshness that I've had about things. I've had to just be gentler in order to be pastoral with students. One more thing that I think is really important that isn't upended. Uh, you're a parent, I'm a parent. And as a parent, I had times when I was judgmental of my children. Mm. I probably still do. And living with 185 undergraduates, I have learned in no uncertain terms by listening to them that judgment never works. It just never works. They may deserve it. Sometimes you feel like they may demand it. But I have learned 
it has upended the notion that I judge them and somehow make them better people. They really only respond to affirmation and kindness and generosity and a brownie or a cookie and a <laughs> latte. If that makes sense, that's something that's upended. I, I wish I knew that 30 years ago. They just yeah. don't respond to judgment. And the more we stand and say, oh, this generation or that generation or they, we have just destroyed our ability to be their mentor and their friend. That's something that's not doctrinal, but something that got upended by the Holy Spirit, I'm sure. I think about my own life. I certainly don't respond to judgment either. I rear up against it. And so why would people behind me respond to that? So I think you're right. We respond to love. And again, I think it goes back to, do we trust that God is big enough in other people's lives? And if Mm -hmm. we can love them and be present with them and listen and help guide them in some way through love, can we trust God with their, with the outcome of their lives instead of us trying to be the spirit for them, which I think is what we do. Agreed. Tell me about this experience living with 18 and 19 year olds and what has it taught you about living a spirit filled life? Well, I love to spend eight to five or nine to five, eight to six in my study uh, uninterrupted. You know, that gives me great joy. I mean, you don't write books (laughs) without staying at your desk, you know, eight hours a day. Hey, I've done this. I've never struggled with discipline. And so building my life around other people means sometimes meeting for lunch. I don't want to break, but that's when they can make it. So I think one thing is flexibility. I think another thing, and I, oh man, Jody, I think this is so important. And I'm not sure the American church quite gets this. We should be living on the edge. Uh, Christians do not belong in the huddle. We do not belong in the comfort of our churches. We need to be on the edge. We should be the kind of people who are so on the edge that Christians who aren't on the edge say, whoa, they're too much on the edge. Living with, so we have a Tuesday night gathering, which we started during Lent called Lattes in Lent. It has atheists, agnostics, Christians, Protestants, Jews, Sikhs, and they get together and we bill it as for Christ, for people of faith, no faith, and any faith. And they come and we feed them and we give them something warm to drink. And at 8.30, they sit down and they discuss together sort of the meaning of life, no joke. And we dismiss them at 9.15 and they never leave. Eventually, <laughs> they're done at 10.30. The other night, our last time, they were done at 11.45. They were done. And I said, I'm going to bed, turn out the lights. We really love living on the edge of faith. It's not stale. And the answers aren't clear, but the Holy Spirit in the entire books of book of Acts is pushing people out. Go, go, go to the Gentiles, go to Samaria, go to Rome, get out of here. <laughs> and yet somehow we like to gather and face each other. So one thing I've learned about living with undergraduates is that we need to find spaces in our world where we are on the edge, where we don't know the answer we have. We don't know the question that'll be raised. And we need to be there Hmm. facing outward. And I think that's what I've learned. We love being there. 
Another thing I've learned is, doggone it, would you please feed people? If you want to talk with non-Christians, feed them. My family did that. You know, my dad wasn't even a Christian and he did that. We have learned the power of hospitality mm-hmm. in a way that we could never have known. And I, I rue the day that we gave up potlucks in the church where you could invite people in. Mm. Okay, so food and living on the edge, facing out are two things I've learned living in a dorm. Oh, wow. That's so good. I was, I would love to know as we close, there's so many other things I want to talk to you about, but I'm going to ask you to just give us, as we seek to live spirit-filled lives, what is some final encouragement or exhortation you have for us besides living on the edge, going and feeding people? And maybe that's it. That's probably enough. The story I love, one of my very favorite stories in the Bible is Philip. Philip in Acts chapter 8 has this amazing ministry in Samaria. People are being exorcised and healed, and they get baptized, and they receive the Spirit. And it's this amazing ministry. It's a huge revival that would dwarf anything that we could imagine. And what is he told to do? Go out to a wilderness road. And it's out on the wilderness road where the Spirit speaks to him and says, go up to this chariot. So one thing I would say is we need to prepare ourselves to leave what seems like success and to go out to a wilderness road where there's enough silence for the Spirit to speak to us. And then when the Spirit speaks to us and the Spirit will speak to us, we do what Philip does and it says he ran up to the chariot. We run to where God is leading us because the Holy Spirit is at work in the world well beyond our little selves and our little churches. And so I would say, allow God to lead us to the wilderness where we can hear the Spirit without the din and the disruption of all the noise. And then when the Spirit calls, run there. Mm -hmm. I would say that would be important. That is an excellent Excellent closing exhortation and challenge. Thank you for saying that. And Jack, thank you for making space to be with us. This has just been incredibly life-giving for me. I just really appreciate you and the work you're doing and how you're loving the people around you. So thank you. Well, loving them with flaws. And let me say to you, Jody, you are only about 30 minutes away from this beautiful SMU campus. And it is a beautiful campus. And we have a cappuccino machine owned by the door that I can make you a latte with. So we would love to have you sit out on our patio and we can chat longer. Well, I would love that. I think we'll make a date when I get off the Please call do. with you. So friends, I really would love to encourage you. If this conversation just sparked something for you, grab Jack's book, Seven Secrets of the Spiritfold Life. It is written as a bit of a devotional meditations and scripture and practical things that you can do to really walk this out. And I think you'll be encouraged like I was. So there will be links in the show notes for all of that. And I do want to just take a quick second to thank the team of Life Audio for their partnership with us. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will see that there are dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. 
shows about prayer and Bible study, parenting, and even this one on scripture meditations and thoughtful conversations. And as always, I do want to thank you one more time for joining Jack and I today on So Much More, because we really do believe Jesus has so much more to say to us through His Spirit, and we are creating space to listen. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com.